This is the question that the Lord has laid in my heart uh, to ask. You know, we, can, we can ask these questions for, for many, many areas in our lives. But there's one area, even as we are in uh, the year of unstoppable love, even as we are focusing, especially during these last three months, on community. And one of the community that you and I belong to, it is in the community of God. And uh, do you know that even as we belong to the community of God, that we are all the bride of Christ. So, men, it includes us, that we are also a bride for once. We are a bride and not always the bridegroom. But you and I, together as the body of Christ, the true believers of Christ, we are all the body, the, the, the bride of Christ. And who is the bridegroom? Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. Do you know that the Bible, in the, uh, the beginning of the, uh, the, the first book of, of the Bible, Genesis, it starts with a wedding. It starts with a marriage of Adam and Eve, the first husband and wife, that God was the first one who conducted the first wedding ceremony. And at the end of our Bible, the last of the 66 books of the Bible, we, in the book of Revelations, it also ends with a wedding, a marriage. And this wedding and this marriage is between Christ and the church. Christ, the bridegroom, and you and I as the bride. So we are called to be radiant. We are called to be holy. We are called to be blameless. We are called to be spotless. But you and I know that we are not there yet. We are far from being spotless and blameless. In fact, as a church, we, 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 we bungle. We make a lot of mistakes. Pastors, leaders, members, we still stumble. We still fumble. We make a lot of mistakes. But we thank the Lord that the bridegroom is a bridegroom who loves unconditionally who loves self-sacrificially, who is self-giving, and who does not look at us as the object of His love and says, you deserve my love. Because if God were to look at us, for sure we say we don't deserve God's love, individually and as a church. And that is the gospel. That is basically the gospel. And that is what we preach in missions. That is what we preach and share the gospel to people in our one-minute weakness, in how we share to people that the gospel is so amazing. The gospel is so wonderful, it's so fantastic that a perfect, loving God can love an imperfect people. But do you know that in the beginning of time when God brought this man, the first man, our forefathers, the first perfect man. They were the only first perfect man on earth and woman, Adam and Eve before sin came. Do you know the Word of God says, even as we were read in, uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that Paul had the foresight, Paul had the revelation that when God created Adam and Eve, right then, God knew God was telling a story that there is going to be another marriage. There's going to be another wedding that is even more significant, that is eternal, where else weddings and marriages are only for earth. Just a reminder for all of us, 
here, there'll be no more marriages in heaven. No more getting into marriage. No dating services in marriage uh, in heaven. But only here. But at that moment in time when God created Adam and Eve, He thought about you and I as sinners. He thought about that He, God is going to send a bridegroom to begin to redeem His bride, a pure and spotless bride. So this was the theologian Paul begin to link Genesis 5, sorry, Ephesians 5 to Genesis 2 because when God created Adam and Eve, God had already thought about. So here in, in Ephesians chapter 5, which we are going to read in a short while, I hope that we will see the link between the gospel of Jesus Christ and marriage. And every time you and I, for those who are married, and even for those who are not married, this message is not just for the married, it is for the single. For the single again, for everyone. Because marriage is called, is supposed to be a reflection of the love of God for each one of us. The bridegroom for the bride. Timothy Keller says this, that the marriage best explains or we can understand the gospel more when we look at marriage. The same way for us that we can understand marriage more when we see the gospel and we can understand the gospel more when we look at each marriage. And the demands of marriage is great. It is glorious. Marriage is supposed to be glorious. It's supposed to be wonderful, but it is hard work. Just like the marriage of Jesus Christ with us as the bride. It is painful and yet glorious. Jesus had to die on the cross in order to win over His bride. In order to pay the price for the bride which is you and I. And similarly in marriage, there is a price to pay. Can you see the connection that Paul the theologian brings? from Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul speaks about this again in Colossians chapter 3. And Peter, the other apostle, speaks about it in 1 Peter chapter 3, about marriage, how marriage can reflect the love of God. And so the question that the Lord has laid in my heart is for us today, is to examine, is to ask this question, how did we get here? Let me tell you why I've asked that question. I want to read from you from what Paul says, which links uh, Ephesians 5 to Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Then we go to verse 22. Wives, be subject or submit in your different version to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ or submit to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual, talking about each husband, among you also is to love his own wife. Remember, his own wife, not other wives. His own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. It's so rich, the Apostle Paul, as a single man, can you imagine the best advice, the best commandment on marriage came from two single men, Jesus Christ and Paul the Apostle. Paul the theologian spoke much about singleness, spoke much about marriage, spoke much about family relationships. So when we ask the question, how did we get here? The thing that comes to mind is that how did our marriage weather through those storms? Tsunamis, floods. Or for some of us, why did our marriage break down and fall apart? Or for some of us here, how did we get here barely surviving in our marriage? All of us are either in one of these categories. Of course, we pray that even as we study the Word of God, we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to convict us and to examine our hearts before the Lord. Even as we remember the love of the Bridegroom, Jesus Christ, for us as the church, may we as husbands begin to see the love that God demands of husbands, that God and the submission and the respect that God demands of wife for their husband is very important because it matters to God how we conduct our relationship, how we conduct our marriage, how even as singles, because the, all the virtues, all the commands that Jesus gave to marriages matters to singles. Because when you are a single and you are looking forward towards a life partner, a life mate, you have to know what God expects of you as a person. What God wants marriage to reflect, it is to reflect the love of Christ for the church. And so we come in it with a divine mandate. It is not just marriage and just doing marriage like what they do in Las Vegas. Today I marry, tomorrow I say bye-bye. God's desire that is, we all belong to the first category. How did our marriage weather through those storms? And God's manual, the Word of God, is the manual for couples, is the ma manual for singles, is the manual for those unfortunately have to go through separation and divorce, and those who are widowed, and those who are widower. God's manual applies. And do you know that the truth that God, uh, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and even through Paul, even to Peter, that the values, the truth that we apply to marriage, do you know if you apply it in all your other relationships, it also will bless you. 
it also will bless God more importantly. The basic unit of our society and the community is the family. And the basic core unit of the family is the marriage. The health and well-being of marriage determines the welfare of families, community and society. Children is not the number one priority in a family. It is the marriage. A family is as strong as its marriage, not the children. But sadly, in many, many families today, the children have overtaken. The children have usurped the role of the father, the mother, the husband and the wife in the family. And that is why nowadays, we are having so many problems with the young generation. Do you know in this, in this Ephesians chapter 5, sometimes before the women protest, when I speak about submission, when I speak about love, do you know that Paul, the theologian, speaks three times more to the husband than to the wife? Nine verses, Paul spoke to the husband about loving about taking care, about cherishing, nourishing your wife. Then about the wife submitting and respecting. This shows the emphasis about who is the head of the house. God puts a heavy responsibility on the leader and the head of the house, which is you and I, husbands, men, fathers, we are here. We cannot blame anybody else. We cannot pass the responsibility to our wives, to our children, to our parents, to our grandparents who, are, who, may, be, who may be looking after our children. No, the, resp- the buck stops here. The buck stops at the husband, the father. We are to take responsibility. And that's why Paul has three times more to say to the husband, to the father, than to the wives. Men, take note. As I mentioned just now, God is the one who instituted marriage from the beginning of time. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is not a mistake or an accident. But God designed marriage right at the beginning of creation. And like what I mentioned just now, marriage should be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. Every time we look at a good marriage, every time we look at a godly marriage, we see the love of Christ for His church. So powerful, the gospel. The gospel is so simple. Sometimes we have made it so, so complicated. But the gospel is this, that a perfect God, a loving God, can love an imperfect people, a sinful people. And that is what marriage is. Marriage is the other side, where two imperfect people will choose to come together in life, to love, to care, to cherish, to respect, to honour one another. When we talk about covenant, the two things that comes in covenant is God's, the, the new covenant that Christ instituted when He shed His blood on the cross for you and I. It is a covenant, a commitment, it is a promise. And Jesus is the promise giver and Jesus is the same promise keeper. Jesus says, I promise to keep you. I promise to save you if you would just to respond, obey me. The same thing in marriage is also a covenant. 
a covenant that a husband makes to the wife and a wife makes to the husband on the day of their wedding. It is a covenant. What is a covenant? It is a pledge. It is a promise. It is an agreement. It is a contract. It is a commitment for life that says, I do. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you see the question there? There is no force. There is no compelling. It is a willing partner willing to start a life together. And so there is a choice in marriage. There is a decision to make by both sides. It's no compelling, it's no force. And so what is some of the important elements in the covenant that God has with His church and in a marriage that God has between a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband? There is order in the family, order in the marriage. Husbands, fathers, you are called to be the head and leader of the family. You cannot abdicate from that. You cannot pass it to your wife because that is ordained by God. And then there is that agape love. For the Christian marriage, we have a high advantage. We have a great advantage in our marriage compared to the marriage that out is out in the world because their love is only one. Their love is romantic. Their love is, you, help, you make me happy, I make you happy. But in the agape love, it is other-centered. It is self-sacrificing. It is putting me last and putting my partner first. That is God's ideal for marriage. And you know, that this principle applies to all our relationships. So even if you are single, we are called to love one another just as Christ has loved us. We are called to love our family members even between the church community. That is the agape love. It is self-centered, sorry, selfless, other-centered, self-sacrificing love as opposed to self-centered, self-centeredness. And then there is a respect in all relationships. Respect is very important. Respect is giving the honour, giving the value, giving the position, respecting the person, the, the person as a person made in the image of God, whether the person is a Christian or not Christian, that we are all equal in the eyes of God. Men are not superior to women just because we are head of the home, just because we are leaders. No, we are equal in Genesis chapter 1. God made them male and female. Both are made in the image of God. Trust, honour, endurance, faithfulness and holiness. All these are involved in a covenant relationship. And that is the same thing that God, Christ, expects from us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what God gives to us. That is what God expects from us as believers, whether we are male or female, brothers or sisters, whether we are married or single, God expects this from us in His covenant relationship with you and I. What more? God expects this of husbands and wives. God expects this of brothers and sisters in the Lord. God expects this in all your other relationships in your family.
And that's why I started off with this, that marriage helps us to better understand the gospel. And the same way, the gospel helps us to better understand marriage. I pray that today, if there's one thing that you will take home, take away from this message, is this truth that Paul was trying to put forward in Ephesians chapter 5 and also linking it to Genesis chapter 2. That every time we are committed to a relationship, every time we we, 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 have, we, we recognize the order in a relationship. We recognize that we have to love in a way that is other-centered. We respect, we trust, we honor, we have endurance, we are faithful, we are loyal. There is holiness. Do you know? It reflects the love of Christ. We are being reminded, do you know? This is how Jesus loves us. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. There are three R's that I want to share with you today with the, just a half an hour that I have left with you. The second part, I will come back again in my next message. So, to be continued. The first R is realistic. Do you know that there was a survey done of 1,500 people who were married, who were divorced, and do you know the interesting thing about this survey is that everything that they say that they could have done, they should have done, or they have done, is actually what the Bible has already commanded us to do. So what the world is discovering is that God has already have a manual for marriage already in the Word of God. So if people choose to ignore God's command, God's promise, God's order in the marriage, we will have problems in the marriage. And if we have more problems in the marriage, what, do, what happens? We have problems in the family. There is chaos in the family. There's havoc in the family. But it starts with the marriage. And so the survey of 1,500 people of various cultures and backgrounds, those who have been successfully married and still married, those who were divorced and separated and remarried again, they say that if we could have done it all again, we should have done these few things. And it's so amazing that these few things are the same things that the Word of God has already told us. So if what the world is discovering is what we already have in the Word of God, if that is already the truth, is already with us as the community of God, as the bride of Christ, what about all the other truth that comes from the Bible? It validates all the other truth that is not about marriage, that God says that the Bible is the manual for life. Whether it's for doing business, whether it's for handling financial, whether it's for, uh, in terms of how do we relate to other people who we, who we find difficulty to relate. So every truth that is in the Word of God, whether it's in your electronic Bible or your physical Bible, is the very, very manual that God has given us for life. So realistic is the number one, uh, is one of the three R's that I will share with you this morning. Is we have to have realistic expectation of marriage and all relationship. Why? The Disney T 
theme of happily ever after myth is not true. It's setting people up for disappointment and failures. We see in the cartoons, uh, we see in uh, uh, Cinderella and Prince Charming, you know, that after that, they don't tell what happened after that, how did Prince Charming treat the, the, the wife, and you know, how did Cinderella was treated after that. They could have been divorced, they could have been remarried again, they could be single again. You know, they don't tell the story, they think that every hour of the marriage is going to be like that, but they don't tell about the hard work. They tell about how they lure each other, how they fight the, the villains, you know, in the different movies, in different cultures, but they don't tell. But what about the fighting after you get married? In my second part of my next sermon, I will talk about how to fight fair in marriage. I know this is something that we have to learn how to fight also. It's not that we, we cannot avoid fighting in marriage, but we have to fight fair. So many go into marriage relationship with unrealistic expectation. Some of us with Hollywood expectation. Some of us with Disney expectation. Some of us with Korean expectation. Some of us all with different, different expectation of what marriage is. But the reality check is, and this is what the Bible says, we are all conducting our marriage in a fallen, broken world. Two imperfect persons, we're talking about you and I, look at your spouse be, beside you. Two imperfect persons coming together. What do you get? A perfect marriage? No. And that is what some of the world is telling us. Wow, you're both equally handsome, equally beautiful, equally, you know, Lang Lui, Lang Jai. You know, you're so handsome, you know, you're so good, you're so equally rich. It's going to be a perfect marriage. No. Because why? <laughs> you are both imperfect. And the other thing that we always forget is between a marriage of a man and a woman. And that is the only marriage that the church approves. A marriage between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man and a woman and a woman. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So that is the thing that God has said. And this is the thing that we... That's, that's the reason... Why Paul the Apostle mentioned about the love chapter in, in verse Corinthians 13. So the love chapter is not just for married couples. It's for all of us in any form of relationship. And this love, and that's why because we are living in a fallen, broken world, whether you are married or not, this is why we need the love of God. This is why we need agape love. Agape love is other-centered. You think of the other person more than you think of yourself. You put the other interests more than your own interests. It is self-sacrificing, just like the love of Jesus Christ for the church. Jesus paid a heavy price in order for us to be His bride. He was humiliated. He was punished. He was shamed on the cross by being naked. He was rejected in order for him to win a bride for God. There was a heavy price. And so in every relationship on earth, there is a price to pay in order for the marriage to be God-honoring, in order for the marriage to be blessed by God, in order for the marriage to please God or any relationship to please God, even as a single. This applies to you. And that's why even before 
especially many times in a wedding ceremony. That's why many times they use 1 Corinthians 13 because they are preparing you for the hard work. After, there's no happily ever after one. After the wedding, after the photo taking, after the dinner, or well, everybody is happy, happy, you know, everybody is so rejoicing, the photos, you know, the gifts, the honeymoon. Then we fall back to planet Earth and say that, oh, I'm married to another person who is not like me. I'm married to a man. I'm married to a woman. And that is another difference that we sometimes forget. Men are not women, and women are not men. And that's why God has wired us differently. Men are wired differently. Women are wired differently. And that's why the commandment in Colossians from the bachelor Peter, or the bachelor, sorry, the bachelor Paul, is that husbands live with your wife in an understanding way. Husbands, we will take a lifetime to understand your wives. And even after the lifetime ends, we will still maybe not get it all. It's the same with wives of husbands. But I say wives have more advantage. They have an in intuitiveness to know what a husband wants. But husbands, many times we are a bit more blur than our wives. We have to admit it, huh? we belong to the blur community of husbands. Blur assembly of God. So sometimes we need help from our wives and that's why we thank the Lord for our wives. Let's give the hand for all the wives who are here. And that's why the Lord, when He saw Adam alone, He says, Ayo, we cannot leave him alone. He needs a helper. And so God says, I will make him a helper compatible, a helper corresponding, a helper fitting for him. So a helper is not a maid, is not a servant. And there's be careful, husbands, don't treat our wives like maid and servants. That is not the meaning of helper. Do you know that God used this title for Himself? That God is also a helper to the nation of Israel. So very importantly, when the, we, we don't use the word helper like we use for our help in the, in the house or help in the office or in the factory. But this helper is someone who comes alongside you and complements you. So this is a companion, a partner in life that will complement us. So it's a constant commitment to a person regardless. And that's why we need to be patient. That's why we know that only when we have the love of God in us for our people in relationship, especially our spouses, can we bear all things? Can we believe all things? Can we hope all things? Can we endure all things? Even though the toilet seat is not up, we can still tahan. Even though the place is so messy, we can still bear it. Because this is what love is about. It's not about fighting over the toilet seat. It's not about fighting how we squeeze the toothpaste from the front or from the back. But there are other things that we can fight. They are important that we need to fight. But all these things we need to let go. And that is where we need the love of God, the agape love. And that is why we hope all things. We endure all things. And that's why Paul ends in verse 8 says, Love never fails. 
Not any kind of love, not the Disney love, not the Korean love, not the Hollywood love, but the love of God never fails. When we obey God and love our spouse, love our children, love people the way that Jesus loved us, I can tell you we can endure all things. We can bear all things. And then today we can stand here to say, like some of us who say that, I've been married for 50 years. I've been married for 40 years. I've been married for 30 years. I've been married for 20 years. I've been married for 60 years. It is because of this love, this commitment that we have for one another. I must quickly run. The promise and the vow that you made to your spouse on that day is a choice. It's not based on feelings. It is not based on romance. It is based on a commitment that we made. Just as Jesus made a commitment, even when we were all unlovable as sinners, God choose to love us. It is a choice. It is a will. It says that for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others until death do us part. I am so inspired by husbands and wives who take care of their sick husbands and their sick wife through treatment, through cancer, through different things. They feed them, they wash them, they clean up. And that is what marriage is all about. Marriage is very messy. Sometimes it involves diapers. Sometimes it involves the fluids that we don't like to see. Sometimes it is the bed that is dirty. Sometimes it is seeing things that we don't want to see, we don't want to handle. But marriage is like that. And do you know what happens when we are able to endure? We bear all these things. What happens is the marriage goes to another level. It is not about looks. It is not about attractiveness. It's not about appearance. It's not about status anymore. Marriage helps us to build character, build ourselves. And that is one of the reasons why we get married. So if we are not ready to change, if you are not ready to become a better person, don't get married. Because marriage will change us. Marriage has changed me. Marriage has changed my wife. Marriage has changed you who are married, whether you are 20, 30, 40, 50 or 60 years. That's why the issue of compatibility sometimes does not apply. Because the person that you married 30 years ago is a different person today. But we praise God, we will still love that different person because that person, if we love the person according to how Jesus loved the church, if we love the person and submit to the person according to how the church submits to Christ, you will see that you will love this person even more. I didn't marry you, but I'm glad that God gave a new you. And that is what we are hoping for. We are not marrying a finished product. Remember, this is the reality that you and I must always think. Sometimes we are looking for that finished product. I must marry a person who has all this. But brothers and sisters, you will never find that person because there are no finished products here. The only perfect husband that you will ever find is Jesus Christ. But He's not available for us individually. 
but He's available for us as a church. And He will be our husband. He will be the bridegroom when He comes again. But other than that, there is no perfect wife. There is no perfect husband. The second R, the first R that I mentioned is reality. That we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. So we are conducting our marriage in an imperfect world, a fallen, broken world. So we must expect that there will be problems. That is why God has so many commandments about marriage. In fact, the Bible has a lot of things spoken about marriage and relationship between a parents and their children, between a master and a slave, between a husband and a wife. Because we are conducting our lives in a fallen, broken world. And so we struggle with ourselves. You know, one of the things that you and I struggle in, and something that is in all of us, we, one of the, 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 the main enemy of any marriage and any relationship, we all have a problem of sinful self-centeredness. This is something, a reality all of us have to accept. The world still won't accept. They will say it's just a character flaw. They say it's just a bad habit. But the Bible and God will tell us the reality that we are all guilty of sinful self-centeredness. Whether you are a pastor, whether you are an anointed person, whether you are a leader, whether you are a member, no matter how long we have been in marriage, we all have to daily struggle with that. And that's why we daily need to deny ourselves. We daily need to carry our cross and follow Jesus because that is the only way. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need the love of God to be inside of us every day so that we can defeat this enemy. Sinful self-centeredness. All of us, because of our sinful nature, we are self-centered by nature. We cannot escape that. And so to love another person, to love your wife, to love your husband, takes a lot of hard work because we have to overcome our self-centeredness. And that's why God has given us a weapon, something that we don't have to do ourselves, something that comes from God. It is the agape love. It is the other-centered love. It is a self-sacrificing love to counter self-centeredness. The second R, quickly, is respect. Many times, people say that communication is the number one problem in any relationship, especially marriage. But do you know, even in this survey of the 1,500 people, one of the, the thing that people who are 10 years and below talk about communication, but the people who have been married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, this year, me and my wife will be celebrating our 33 years in marriage. This is not, uh, this, this is not to, to get your applause, but it is to tell you that sometimes we think communication must be the only thing, must be the best thing. But do you know the Bible is right? That respect is even more important than communication. You can communicate all you want. You can talk frankly and you can fight furiously. But if you have respect for your spouse, you will not want to hurt or injure, or harm, or demean, or humiliate your spouse. And that is in the Word of God itself. 
Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So respect not, is not just for the wife, it's for both. Husbands, how do you show respect for your wife? By loving your wife. By sacrificing, by serving your wife. Wives, how do we show respect for your husband by submitting to the headship, the leadership of your husband. But wives will ask, what if my husband does something wrong? Trust, hope in God. Trust God that God is also Lord over your husband. Don't be frightened. Just like Sarah in the Old Testament, also hope in God. And that's why the Word of God says in, I believe it's in Colossians, that He says that, even Sarah was a woman who submitted to his husband Abraham. And you know what, what the Sarah called Abraham? Lord. Not king. Lordship means you respect. Not someone who sits on a throne and orders the drink, switch on the TV, bring the food. But it is a lordship that speaks about a leadership that you are the leader. I am following you. Wherever you lead me, even to the wrong lane, I will follow you, the wife will say. This is how you show love for your husband. This is how respect is in practical terms. I will follow you. Because I trust that God will speak to you even if you take me the wrong place. Even if you take the wrong direction. Even if you don't want to listen to ways, I will still trust in you. Even if we end up in a one-hour jam, I will trust in you. I will hope in you. That is submitting. That is respecting the leadership of your husband. To submit to your husband is to show respect and honour him as the head of the home and leader regardless of how well the husband is doing. And remember, wives, your husband is not perfect just like you. We are not perfect just like you. So our husbands is going to make mistakes, lots of mistakes along the way. Our wives also are making mistakes long along the way. But the thing that we should honour God is obey God. As husbands love their wives, wives submit and trust God that God will lead, will make your husband to be a good leader. A leader doesn't come overnight, it is developed over the years. You will never want to lose respect for your partner. Disrespect and dishonor is a marriage killer. In all our counseling, in all our ministering, one of the things that will determine the sustenance of any marriage or any relationship is the way a spouse talk about the other spouse. If there is contempt, if there is disrespect, I can tell you the marriage is in deep trouble. The marriage will not last long. And I've seen it happening that people break up. Even Christians, couples break up when they disobey God, when they don't respect their husbands, when they don't respect their wives. So. Conflicts are ultimately unavoidable and feelings will always be hurt. But this should not take away the respect that we have 
And the only thing that can save you and your spouse in an, is an unerring respect for one another. The fact that you hold each other in high esteem. Believe in one another. Husbands, wives, I cannot overemphasize this second R. That look at, if you begin to look at your relationship and your marriage today, is the respect still there? If it's not there, we better recover it because if not, our marriage is heading for the rocks. Our marriage is in deep trouble. This is one of the indicators, one of the signs that our marriage is on the rocks. Our marriage is heading, becoming like a titanic. Respect. Without the bedrock of respect underneath, you will doubt each other's intention. I want to thank the Lord for my wife. Even though I, I messed up in so many areas before I became a Christian, and even after becoming a Christian, I still messed up. I was not a person who was a good role model as a husband, as a father. But do you know, through it all, there's one thing that I see in her. She never taken away her respect for me. And that is one of the things that kept our marriage alive until today. We will not be celebrating our 33 years in December if not for the respect that she has for me. There is every reason for her to walk away and say, enough of you. Enough of this thing that you are doing to our marriage. Enough of not loving me, not honouring me, not cherishing me, not valuing me. She could have said all this and these are true of what I was before I truly learned what it means to be a husband and a father. But this is something that I've learned from my experience and the 1,500 people who have surveyed also said the, thing, the same thing. Not communication is the most important thing. Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect your spouse, respect your husband. And in all your relationship, if you are single, you must also learn to apply respect before you get married. Don't try to do respect after you get married. It can be too late. Because you must do it as a lifestyle. In every relationship, employers to employees, employees to employers, brothers to sisters, parents to children, children to parents, obey Children, obey your parents in the law. Do you know that from respect, everything else will follow? Trust, patience, perseverance. If you don't have respect for your spouse, you will not trust your spouse. Very quickly, let me just uh, run through what respect, what respect looks like for us. It means never talk negatively about your partner or complain about them to your friends. And this is something that we are all guilty. We tell our best friends. Sometimes we go in our Facebook. Sometimes we go in a WhatsApp. Sometimes we go in our group. Sometimes we tell our, ourselves in, in front of everybody, my husband is like that, my wife is like that. Wow, that is damaging. That is destructive to every relationship. 
Never talk bad about your husband. Talk bad about your husband to God, okay. Tell God anything. He's the safest place. Because if you tell something to your friend, he says, don't tell anybody, uh, for sure it will go out to everybody else. Nowadays with the social networking, and then you will have a famous reputation. My wife said this about me. And I don't even know. Never talk negatively. This is how, this is what love is. Love is patient. Love doesn't keep accounts of the wrong that your spouse does against you. Respect that they have a different hobbies, interests, and res respective. Respect the space. Even though the two shall become one, it doesn't mean that you lose your identity. You lose your person. You lose your personality. You are together one person. No, you are still two persons. So respect the space. Sometimes husbands, wives need their own space. Wives love to be in the shopping mall. And if you are a loving husband, you will follow her. Like I do. <laughs> I can, I go for my walks. But walking in the super mall, in the Sumake mall, is the toughest thing for me. I feel so tired when I see all the windows, window shopping. But when I walk on my own exercise, I don't feel tired. But it is a sacrifice that we pay. That is love in action. You do something to please your wife, to show that I really love you. Wife, the same, do the same thing. Watch football with your husband. Watch the F1 with your husband. Even though you don't understand which team is which team, doesn't matter. Sometimes we ask the question and we say, is the wrong team playing? But it doesn't matter. It is you coming alongside and says, I love you that much that I'm willing to do something that you love to do. That is how I respect you. That is how I love you. Respect that they have equal say in a relationship that you are a team. Doesn't mean that the husband is the head of the home. The leader doesn't mean that the wife cannot have her opinion. Let the wife speak. Don't silence your wife. It's not silence of the lambs. Let your wife speak because many times, brothers and sisters, I found out God spoke through my wife. And I thank God that that is the companion, that is the partner that God has given to you. And the voice of God sometimes can be louder when it comes through your spouse. And the third and last one, which I'm quickly, just give me two minutes, is the third R. The first R is... What is the first R? Can you remember? Sorry? Yes. To be realistic. The second R is respect. And the third R is relationship. Do you know that when we are made in the image of God, when God created Adam and Eve, God created them to be like God. We are not God, but to be like God. And one of the essential characteristics of being like God is to be in a relationship. That means each one of us was created to love and to be loved. And that is where we find the most meaningful moments in our life is to be in a relationship. Whether we are singles, our relationship is with our family. Our relationship is now with our spiritual family. And singles, don't think that because you are not married, 
it doesn't mean that you are incomplete because the Word of God says in Christ, we are all complete. Can you say amen to that? Only in the Christian faith is singleness also a virtue. It's also a gift that God gives. Like Paul, the apostle, was a confirmed bachelor because he says, God has called me to be single-minded so that I won't be distracted by marriage. And some of us here may have a gift of singlehood, singleness, enjoy, and, and don't think that you are lacking anything that the, those who are married have because God has something else for you. But your fulfillment is in Christ. So for husbands and wives, even though this is something very important in relationship, even as I end here, your spouse, your husband, and your wife can never fulfill all your need. Only Jesus Christ can fulfill all our needs. So for those who are married, wives, don't look for everything in your husband. You are going to be disappointed. You are going to be totally frustrated. Why? Because they are imperfect. They are not there yet. They are on the way. Just like you are. So when we lower down the expectation, that's why the first person that we honour in a marriage is God. Because only God can meet a husband's true and deepest need. Only God and Jesus can meet a wife's most deepest need. Only Jesus Christ can meet a person's need, whether you are single, whether you are separated, whether you are divorced. And that's why we put the Lord Jesus Christ first. For the singles, let me share with you from my experience just three things to give to you. Because you say that, why are you talking about marriage only? What about us? It is something that I've learned, it's something that is from the Word of God. Three things if you are looking for a spouse. The first thing is their character. Most importantly, don't look at their appearance. Don't look at their body. Don't look at their status because their appearance, the wrinkles will come, the body shape will change, but the character will be better and better each time. So look for the character, look for the inward heart, just like the Word of God says. Peter says, you know what is a woman that is precious before God? A woman that is quiet, and gentle. And that is precious before God now. That is what the Word of God says. Quiet and gentle. Quiet means you submit to the leadership of your husband. Gentle means you are not always fighting and vocal and criticizing your husband. And that is what God says looks for that. Character comes above else. When we are, when we are 30 years, 40 years in marriage, the beauty is the one that is always, has always been there. The character. The white hair will come. The many coloured hair will come. Some of the no hair also will come. And sometimes the pouch will come. Sometimes the body will expand. But it doesn't matter because you are in love with the character. Amen. Second thing, when you're looking for a future spouse, is to look for someone who loves God more than he loves you. If the person says, I love you more than anything else, be careful. <laughs> he will find something else to love more along the way. So, if, so how do you see that? Look at his life. Look at his faithfulness 
in the Word of God, in church, in how He treats people. Because if we really love God, we will treat people well. So this is the second uh, pointer for those who are looking. First thing is character. Second thing is love God more than you love your spouse. Third thing is marry your best friend. Because the Word of God says a friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Marry someone you are so comfortable to share and let down your hair and the person won't criticize you, won't judge you. You make mistakes, the, your friend will still be there. That is a spouse that you should marry. If the spouse is nearby here, grab the person. Don't wait for it. Thank you, brother, for grabbing your... <laughs> so three things I leave with, uh, for you for singles. Uh, put character first. Make sure that your, your future spouse loves God more than he loves you. And also look for a one who is truly going to be your best friend. Let's pray.